Chapter 9 of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The odd part of it, Walton thought, was that there was absolutely nothing he could do. He could call Sellers and give him a roasting for not guarding his office properly, but that wouldn't restore the missing portfolio. He could send out a general alarm and thereby let the world know that there was such a thing as Lamar's formula. That would be catastrophic. Walton slammed the cabinet shut and spun the lock. Then, heavily, he dropped into his chair and rested his head in his arms. All the jubilation of a few minutes before had suddenly melted into dull apprehension. Suspects? Just two, Lamar and Fred. Lamar because he was obvious, Fred because he was likely to do anything to hurt his brother. Give me Sellers in security, Walton said quietly. Sellers' bland face appeared on the screen. He blinked at the sight of Walton, causing Walton to wonder just how ghastly his own appearance was, even with the executive filter touching up the transmitted image, sprucing him up and falsifying him for the public benefit. He probably looked dreadful. Sellers, I want you to send out a general order for Dr. Lamar. You'll find his appearance recorded on the entry tapes for today. He came to see me earlier. The first name is, um, Elliot. T. Elliot Lamar, gerontologist. I don't know where he lives. What should I do if I find him, sir? Bring him here at once. If you catch him at home, slap a seal on his door he may be in possession of some very important secret documents yes sir and get a hold of the doorsmith who repaired my office door i want the lock calibration changed at once certainly sir the screen faded walton turned to his desk and busied himself in meaningless paperwork trying to keep himself from thinking a few minutes later the screen brightened again it was fred Walton stared coldly at his brother's image. Well, Fred chuckled. Why so pale and wan, dear brother? Disappointed in love? What do you want? An audience with His Highness the Interim Director, if it please His Grace. Fred grinned unpleasantly. A private audience, if you please, my lord. Very well, come on up here. Fred shook his head. Sorry no go there are too many tricky spy pickups in that office of yours let's meet elsewhere shall we where that club you belong to the bronze room walton sputtered but i can't leave the building now there's no one who now fred interrupted the bronze room it's in san ysidro isn't it top of neville prospect all right said walton resignedly there's a doorsmith coming up here to do some work. Give me a minute to cancel the assignment, and I'll meet you downstairs. You leave now, Fred said. I'll arrive five minutes after you. And you won't need to cancel anything. I was the doorsmith. Neville Prospect was the most fashionable avenue in all New York City, a wide strip of ferro-concrete running up the west side between 11th Avenue and the west side drive from fourteenth to fifteenth street it was bordered on both sides by looming apartment buildings in which a man of wealth 
might have as many as four or five rooms to his suite and at the very head of the prospect facing downtown was the mighty san ysidro a buttressed fortress of gleaming metal and stone whose mighty beryllium steel supports swept out in a massive arc five hundred feet in either direction on the hundred and fiftieth floor of the san ysidro was the exclusive bronze room from whose quartz windows might be seen all the sprawling busyness of manhattan and all the closely packed confusion of new jersey just across the river the jet copter delivered walton to the landing stage of the bronze room he tipped the man too much and stepped within a door of dull bronze confronted him he touched his key to the signet plate the door pivoted noiselessly inward admitting him the color scheme today was gray gray light streamed through the luminescent walls gray carpets lay underfoot gray tables with gray dishes were visible in the murky distance a gray-clad waiter hardly more than four feet tall sidled up to walton good to see you again sir he murmured you have not been here of late no walton said i've been busy a terrible tragedy the death of mr fitzmaugham he was one of our most esteemed members will you have your usual room today sir walton shook his head i am entertaining a guest my brother fred we'll need a compartment for two he'll identify himself when he arrives of course come with me please the gnome led him through a gray haze to another bronze door down a corridor lined with antique works of art through an interior room decorated with glowing lumifacts of remarkable quality past a broad quartz window so clean as to be dizzyingly invisible and up to a narrow door with a bright red signet plate in its center for you sir walton touched his key to the signet plate the door crumbled like a fan he stepped inside gravely handed the gnome a bill and closed the door the room was tastefully furnished again in gray the bronze room was always uniformly monochromatic though the hue varied with the day and with the mood of the city walton had long speculated on what the club precincts would look like were the electronic magic disconnected actually he knew none of the bronze room's appurtenances had any color except when the hand in the control room threw the switch the club held many secrets it was fitzmaugham who had brought about walton's admission to the club and walton had been deeply grateful he was in a room just comfortably large enough for two with a single bright window facing the hudson a small onyx table a tiny screen tastefully set in a wall and a bar he dialed himself a filtered rum his favorite drink the dark cloudy liquid came pouring instantly from the spigot the screen suddenly flashed a wave of green breaking the ubiquitous grayness the green gave way to a bald head and scowling face of kroll the bronze room's doorman sir there's a man outside who claims to be your brother he alleges he has an appointment with you here that's right kroll send him in folks will bring him to my room just one moment sir first it is needful to verify kroll's face vanished and fred's appeared is this the man 
Kroll's voice asked. Yes, Walton said. You can send my brother in. Fred seemed a little dazed by the opulence. He sat gingerly on the edge of the foam-webbed couch, obviously attempting to appear blasé, and painfully conscious of his failure to do so. This is quite a place, he said finally. Walton smiled. A little on the palatial side for my tastes. I don't come here often. The transition hurts too much when I go back outside. Fitzmom got you in here, didn't he? Walton nodded. I thought so, Fred said. Well, maybe some day I'll be a member too. Then we can meet here more often. We don't see enough of each other, you know. Dial yourself a drink, Walton said. Then tell me what's on your mind. Or were you just angling to get an invite up here? It was more than that. Let me get a drink before we begin. Fred dialed a wissour, heavy on the absinthe, and took a few sampling sips before wheeling around to face Walton. He said, One of the minor talents I acquired in the course of my wandering was doorsmithing. It's really not very difficult to learn for a man who applies himself. You were the one who repaired my office door? Fred smirked. I was. I wore a mask, of course, and my uniform was borrowed. Masks are very handy things. They make them most convincingly nowadays. As, for instance, the one worn by the man who posed as Ludwig. What do you know about? Nothing. And that's the flat truth, Roy. I didn't kill Fitzmom, and I don't know who did. He drained his drink and dialed another. No, the old man's death is as much a mystery to me as it is to you. But I have to thank you for wrecking the door so completely when you blasted your way in. It gave me a chance to make some repairs when I most wanted to. Walton held himself very carefully in check. He knew exactly what Fred was going to say in the next few minutes, but he refused to let himself precipitate the conversation. With studied care he rose dialed another filtered rum for himself, and gently slid the initiator switch on the electroluminescent kaleidoscope embedded in the rear wall. A pattern of lights sprang into being, yellow, pale rose, blue, soft green. They wove together, intertwined, sprang apart into a sharp hexagon, broke into a scattered pattern, melted, seemed to fall on the carpet in bright flakes. Shut that thing off, Fred snapped suddenly. Come on, shut it, shut it. Walton swung around. His brother was leaning forward intently, eyes clamped tight shut. Is it off? Fred asked. Tell me. Shrugging, Walton canceled the signal, and the lights faded. You can open your eyes now. It's off. Cautiously, Fred opened his eyes. None of your fancy tricks, Roy. Trick? Walton asked innocently. What trick? Simple decoration, that's all. And quite lovely, too. Just like the kaleidowhirls you've seen on video. Fred shook his head. It's not the same thing. How do I know it's not some sort of hypnoscreen? How do I know what those lights can do? Walton realized his brother was unfamiliar with wall kaleidoscopes. It's perfectly harmless, he said. But if you don't want it on, we can do without it. Good. That's the way I like it. Walton observed that Fred's cool confidence seemed somewhat shaken. 
His brother had made a tactical error in insisting on holding their interview here, where Walton had so much the upper hand. "'May I ask again why you wanted to see me?' Walton said. "'There are those people,' Fred said slowly, "'who oppose the entire principle of population equalization. "'I'm aware of that. Some of them are members of this very club. "'Exactly. Some of them are. The ones I mean are the gentry, "'those still lucky enough to cling to land and home. "'The squire with a hundred acres in the Mato Grosso, "'the wealthy landowner in Liberia, "'the gentleman who controls the rubber output "'of one of the lesser Indonesian islands. "'These people, Roy, are unhappy over equalization. "'They know that sooner or later "'you and your bureau will find out about them "'and will equalize them, "'say, by installing a hundred Chinese on a private estate "'or by using a private river for a nuclear turbine. "'You'll have to admit that their dislike of equalization is understandable.' "'Everyone's dislike of equalization is understandable,' Walton said. "'I dislike it myself. "'You got your evidence of that two days ago. "'No one likes to give up special privileges.' "'You see my point, then. "'There are perhaps a hundred of these men in close contact with each other.' "'What?' "'Ah, yes,' Fred said. "'A league. "'A conspiracy, it might almost be called. "'Very, very shady doings.' yes i work for them fred said walton let that soak in you're an employee of popeek he said are you inferring that you're both an employee of popeek and an employee of a group who seeks to undermine popeek fred grinned proudly that's the position on the nose it calls for remarkable compartmentalization of mind i think i manage nicely incredulously walton said how long has this been going on ever since i came to popeek this group is older than popeek they fought equalization all the way and lost now they're working from the bottom up trying to wreck things before you catch wise and confiscate their estates as you're now legally entitled to do and now that you've warned me they exist walton said you can be assured that that's the first thing I'll do. The second thing I'll do will be to have the security men track down their names and find out if there is an actual conspiracy. If there was, it's jail for them. And the third thing I'll do is discharge you from Popeek. Fred shook his head. You won't do any of those things, Roy. You can't. Why? I know something about you that wouldn't look good if it came out in the open. Something that would get you bounced out of your high position in a flash. The End of Chapter 9 of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg